When we realize that God is a just God who judges justly, then the message of the cross becomes very special, doesn't it? We think that Jesus took our sin, he nailed it to the cross. Because of that, we can have hope in him. We turn to Genesis chapter 18 as we continue our study on the life of Abraham. We begin in chapter 18, verse 16, and we read in Jesus' name. Then the men rose from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. He spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. And he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a true and living and powerful and awesome and mighty and gracious God. And you are a judge who judges justly. And Lord, I pray that that truth would, would truly move us today and that we would bow at your feet acknowledging who you are and 
And then also rejoicing in the mercy that you provide in your Son, Jesus. Thank you that He took our sin to the cross. That it was there on Calvary that our sin was judged as it was placed upon the innocent Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, guide us into your word. We believe that your word is truth. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth this day and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most fearful lessons that we learn in the Old Testament comes from the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this lesson is of such great importance that it is repeated over and over in Scripture. Jesus spoke about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the New Testament epistles point to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what God will do to those who live ungodly. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It says that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. Jude, verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So you can choose to live an ungodly life if you desire, but God's Word is very clear that there will be a price to pay. God brought judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you can be sure that He will bring judgment again. He is the judge who judges justly. Now, this text is filled with much law and much judgment. And yet there are three things that we see here that God does before He judges. First of all, notice that God warns before He judges. God warns before He judges. In the verses prior to our text, Abraham and Sarah had a wonderful feast with the Lord and two angels that came to visit them. But as they parted from one another, God gave to Abraham a very clear warning of the judgment that was going to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nations, nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And so here was the clear warning. Verse 20, the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. 
I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now, God could have brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah without telling Abraham about it. And God would have been perfectly just in doing so. They deserved to be judged for their sin, just like you and I deserve to be judged. But God had called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And therefore, what happened to the nations, including Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities, would be of concern to Abraham. So before God brought judgment, he brought warning. And that is God's pattern as we look all throughout Scripture, isn't it? Where God gives warning before he judges. Now look at the book of Exodus and you see the the plagues that were brought upon the Egyptians. Remember, Moses came to him, to, to Pharaoh ten times, and he said, let my people go. And if you will not let my people go, here's what's going to happen. Very clearly, ten plagues that came, but they were warned. Pharaoh was warned. God warns before he judges. God did this repeatedly with the people of Israel before the Babylonian captivity. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15, listen to these words. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by His messengers because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. And you go on to read, but they despised the prophets. They laughed at such a warning until finally God brought judgment. But He warned before He judged. And He warned them over and over and over again. We recite in the Apostles' Creed every Sunday that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. And that is taken right out of the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is going to come. He will judge the living and the dead. And as we read the New Testament, we have warning after warning after warning that one day Jesus will come again and He will judge. Before God judges, He warns. Notice the second lesson we learn. Not only does God warn before He judges, but God investigates before He judges. Earlier in the day, God had made it clear to Abraham that he is omniscient, that he knows everything. God had told him about this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. And you know the story. Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90. She had never been able to have children. And yet God said, a year from now, you are going to have a baby. Okay? She was not even pregnant yet. God knew what was going to happen a year down the road. Sarah's listening in the tent, member, And she hears this. And she thinks, wait a minute. Abraham is old. His body is good as dead. I am old. My body is good as dead. I've never been able to have children. And now you say, I'm going to have a baby. And she laughs to herself, the text says. And I would take that as not being a, you know, a, a belly-busting, loud laugh, but just kind of a, 
you know, within her own heart or spirit. And the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? And she tried to deny it, saying, no, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh at that. God said, yes, you did. How did he know that she laughed within herself? Because he knows everything. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows all things. It's important to keep that in mind when you look at what the Lord said about the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verses 20 and 21. The Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. It almost seems like, well, you know, I heard about this, so I better go down and check it out. As if God didn't know about this. What God is doing here is is showing Abraham that he does not judge without investigating. He he knows what's going on, and based on that, he he judges. One author puts it this way. He says, God knows everything, but through a huge act of condescension, the Lord responded to Abraham like a mere human being saying, I will go down now and see whether they have done as, as, I, as their outcry. If not, I will know. And then he says, by this, he assured Abraham that he would base his judgment on full, accurate information. God would send his angels on a fact finding mission to gather information he already perfectly knew. (laughs) So God is saying to Abraham, okay, I'm going to send my messengers down to investigate this. Not for the Lord's sake, but for Abraham's sake. To show him that God judges based on knowledge, based on fact. Call it investigation if you want to. But that's clearly what we see here. If you look at what the Lord says about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, you can see why they deserved judgment. Notice the the use of the word outcry. We see that in verse 20 and 21. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. I'll go down now and see if they have done accordingly to its outcry which has come up to me. Kind of an interesting word. And it it kind of reminds us of chapter 4 of Genesis when Cain killed Abel. Remember that? And God told Cain in chapter 4 verse 10, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Crying out for justice. Cain had killed his brother. Now his blood, God says, it's crying out to me from the ground. And that's very similar then to this expression here where the sin of of Sodom, its outcry, has come up to God. And verse 20 describes their sin as exceedingly grave. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. 
And all we have to do is jump ahead to chapter 19 to see the sin of of Sodom and Gomorrah. These two angels came to visit the city and and they were going to stay at the city gate. And and, and Lot said, do not stay there. And and Lot invites them into his home. And and while they get into the house, and then all these men from the city, notice what it says in chapter 19, verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. There's the outcry coming up to God where where you have men from the entire city gathered around the house of Lot seeking to have sexual immorality with Lot's visitors. And in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9, We have this statement about Sodom. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 9. He is comparing the people of Jerusalem to the city of Sodom. He says, The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Isn't that eerily similar to our culture today? They display their sin like Sodom. They don't try to hide it. It is in your face. It is being rammed down our throats in our culture today. And if you and I don't accept that, who is the problem? It's us, right? Because we are bigots. We are judgmental. That was the culture of Sodom. They display their sin. And there's no shame. And so God says, I'm going to judge. The outcry has come. Their sin is exceedingly grave. And therefore, judgment must come. Notice thirdly, God waits. God waits before he judges. Having heard from the Lord that judgment was coming, Abraham comes to the Lord then and he, and he begins to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. And notice what is the basis of his intercession. In verse 23, Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within, a, within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? And then he says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. And then he says, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And so the intercession of Abraham is based here upon the justice of God. He reasons that a just God will not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. 
It's obvious that God would have withheld his judgment if there were 50 righteous within the city because God tells Abraham so in verse 26. And then Abraham must realize that maybe 50 is is a little bit too many. He goes to, to 45, and then to 40, and then to 30, and then to 20, and finally to 10. And in each case, what does God say? He would spare the city. He is, yes, a just God, but He is also a merciful God. He would spare the city for the sake of the righteous. He would wait to bring judgment on the wicked. And maybe we'd ask the question, why would Abraham want God to spare these people? Well, Lot was there. His nephew was there. He had concern for his own flesh and blood that he would be destroyed along with the wicked. But Abraham also had concern for the people of Sodom. You see, they weren't just nameless, faceless pieces of flesh. Because in chapter 14, if you remember when Lot had been captured and taken away in this battle that we saw in chapter 14, Abraham went and he rescued Lot and the people of Sodom and all their goods and he brought them back. He knew some of them. He had met them face to face. And so Abraham had compassion for them. He had concern for these people. He did not want them to die and to perish eternally. Here was a man who had a heart of compassion, whom our text says were exceedingly evil, wicked and grave. Their outcry had come to God. Abraham was called to be a blessing to the nations, wasn't he? And here's an example of that. Here were these cities that were about to be destroyed, and Abraham interceded for them. That God would spare them from judgment for the sake of the righteous within them. And doesn't Abraham illustrate the heart of Jesus in his intercession? Jesus interceded even for those who were crucifying him, didn't he? He hung on the cross, taking upon Himself the wrath of God. And what did He say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God is clearly the judge who judges justly. And there is one of two ways in which that applies to you and and to me today. For those who do not know Jesus... There will come a day of judgment when sin will be judged. Jesus will come again. The dead in Christ will rise first. Believers will be caught up. But then there's going to be a judgment where we call it the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation. Where those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire where they will pay for their sin. God is just and He will judge Justly. But for those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, for those of you who have put your trust in in Christ, your sin and my sin was judged at the cross, wasn't it? Jesus took our sin. 
He bore the wrath of God. He carried that sin all the way to Calvary, and so our sin was judged too. But it was placed upon Jesus as our substitute. You see, God doesn't just say to us, you know, I'm going to overlook that. God cannot overlook sin. As a holy God, sin must be judged. It must be punished. And it will be punished either by people paying for their own sin in hell, or for those who trust in Jesus, that sin being judged at the cross. That's what Paul means in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 26 where he says that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What that means? God is just because he punished our sin. He punished it. He, He placed it upon his son for us. And that's why we can be justified then in his presence. Because our sin has been atoned for. It's been paid for by Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter describes what's going to happen in the last days when when people will be saying, where is the promise of this coming of Jesus? They've been talking about Jesus coming again for years and years and years. Where is the promise of His coming? And Peter goes on to explain. He goes back to the flood and he says, you know what? God judged in the flood. The whole earth was flooded with water. God did invade history, didn't he? He did bring judgment. And Peter says that's an example of what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. He's not going to judge with water, but he'll come in fiery judgment. And the question as to why he waits is answered in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Peter says, God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God waits before he judges. And I stand here and testify to you today, I am so grateful that God waited for me. That God did not give up on me. That God did not turn His back on me. That God waited for me to realize how sinful I am and how much I needed a Savior. And Jesus judged then my sin at the cross. Paid the price for me. You hear people say, you know, my God would never judge anyone. How many of you heard people say that? Huh? My God would never send anyone to hell. You have to ask, what God are you talking about? A God as you would like Him to be? A God in your own imagination? Certainly not the God of Scripture. This is the God who judges justly. And those who do not know Jesus, they will experience the punishment for their own sins. Those who put their trust in Him have the wonderful promise of eternal life because our sin was judged, was paid for by Jesus. The hymn writer puts it this way, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I praise God for that. And if you don't know Jesus today, you need to know him. You need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who came to to take your sin to the cross. And He invites you to come to Him today. The one who comes to Me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. Receive His forgiveness, His gift of everlasting life as you put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for what You did for us. And thank you, Lord, for this reminder, this example of of what happens to those who live ungodly lives. You are a just God who judges justly. But thank you also that you are a merciful God and you judged our sin at the cross. That we need not experience the judgment of the lake of fire for all eternity. Thank you for that good news that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it as white as snow. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.